So tonight we're going to be diving into Psalm 37. So if you guys want to go ahead and turn there, we're going to be looking at a journey that I've been on with this scripture for a few years now. I've been on this journey with this scripture probably since about 2009, 2010, and my understanding has just grown and grown through this chapter, and I just really enjoy this chapter of Psalms. Um, So while you're getting there in Psalm 37 in your Bibles, I just want to ask you a question. How do you view your desires? Okay, how do you view your desires? That's going to be a central question for us tonight. So I think in order for us to answer that question, we have to look at a couple of definitions because it can be extremely difficult to understand how to define desires, what type of desires are we looking at, different things like that. So to start us off, I'm going to give us a few definitions. I took three definitions uh, from dictionary.com. I'll read these. Let's see if any of these stick out to you and grab hold of those if they do. So number one, a conscious impulse towards something that promises enjoyment or satisfaction in its attainment. Number two, something longed for or hoped for. Number three, a usually formal request or petition for some kind of action. All right, so keep that one, like I said, keep that one that spoke to you, keep it right there next to you, hold on to that definition. Now, I want to ask you another question alongside of that. Would that definition change, the one that you chose, if we aimed towards the idea of the desires of the heart? If we aim towards the idea of the desires of the heart. Okay? And I have to say, for me, whenever I look at a desire in my heart, I lean more towards that second definition of something longed for or hoped for. I lean towards putting my life on course towards something. I lean towards something that I'm wanting to see happen in my life. I look for that, but I started considering, what if I'm leaving behind God? What if I'm leaving behind something by engaging in this desire that I so want or so long for? Am I leaving behind any sense that God wants to act on my behalf? Am I I leaving behind any sense that he has acted already? on my behalf. And so with those questions and those thoughts in mind, let's go ahead and turn to Psalm 37. Hopefully you guys got there ahead of me in your Bibles. And we'll read verses 1 through 6 to get us started here this evening. So Psalm 37, verses 1 through 6. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, For they shall soon be cut down like the grass, and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord, and do good. Dwell in the land, and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your justice as the noonday. It's the word of the Lord. So let's jump straight to the pressing issue. What is verse 4 saying? We've just talked about desires. We've just talked about how we view desires. We've got a couple questions. What is verse 4 saying? Delight yourself in the Lord. He shall give you the desires of your heart. And I have to admit, I mean, this is one of my favorite passages. Like I said, I've been dealing with this for years now, just kind of growing my understanding of it. And, you know, hopefully I can bring you in on that journey that I've been on with the Lord in this passage as well. But 
I also believe that if we view it correctly, if we view this idea of our desires, our heart's desires, what the Lord longs to give us, that it can change so many things for us. So let's go ahead and break it down. First off, we have delight yourself in the Lord. All right, I got that one. I'm going to do the best that I can to pursue the Lord. I'm going to do the best that I can to worship Him. I'm going to read Scripture. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek His will. And you know what? You name it, I'm going to do the best that I can to pursue what the Lord has for me. But that second part, as we've already talked about, it needs an explanation. He will give me the desires of my heart. What does that mean? Does that mean that I get what I want? Does it mean that He puts desires into my heart? Does it mean that if I really passionately pursue something, that He's going to give that to me? As long as I just go for it hard enough. And I have to admit, at first, whenever I interacted with this verse, I thought it really meant I get what I want. You know, I delight myself in the Lord. I'm happy. I'm seeking after Him. I'm seeking His will. And so I get to get what I want. But as I studied and experienced more, I grew in my understanding of this verse. And so I took on that second idea that we talked about, that He is placing desires inside of my heart. And I can, I can defend that. That makes theological sense to me. <laughs> I delight myself in the Lord. I continually pursue Him. I place His will for my life as the primary thing that I'm going after. And then He gradually shapes me in a way that the desires I have are His desires so that He wants to give me those different things. And I can find that in Scripture. I, I can use Romans 12.2, talking about being conformed to the world, but being transformed by the renewing of my mind. So it makes sense. God does the renewing both of my mind and my desires, because my desires are an outflow of my mind. That's what I'm thinking, right? And then I desire things that He wants to give me, just as we said, and we're done. But wait, how does that actually read into the rest of Psalm 37? How does that actually read into what the chapter is actually about and what the chapter is pursuing for us? If I look through the rest of Psalm 37, I see a lot of stuff about the wicked being cut off, about the righteous being upheld, about the destruction of the evildoer, a bright future for the upright. And I have to be honest, like it doesn't quite connect for me. It doesn't quite connect with him transforming something inside of me. And then the psalmist goes off and pursues all these various situations. It just doesn't quite connect for me. Rather, he's creating a dichotomy. He's creating this good versus evil mentality throughout the rest of the chapter of the psalm. And so that puts us into a different category. We're no longer trying to explain or expound how the Lord is recreating these desires inside of us. There's something else going on. The chapter's purpose doesn't give to that transformation piece. So there has to be another way for us to understand this passage in light of what it's surrounded by. And also in light of the fact that this is Hebrew poetry that we're taking an idea and we're pushing it into the entirety of the piece. So when I started thinking through these various situations that are brought up in the psalm, I said, okay, well, we need to address the dichotomy. We have to address the idea that the evildoer versus the upright versus the righteous versus the wicked, all these different things, those dichotomies are apparent throughout the rest of the chapter. And so it begins to create a story that's happening within the psalm, but the Lord is involved with the righteous in each of these situations. He's giving something to the righteous. He's trying to help them in some way. 
So if we acknowledge that this is a repetitious story, that each of these different situations is the same good versus evil situation over and over and over again in the rest of the psalm, then we ask ourselves, how do we actually fit into that story? How are we going to place ourselves into the psalm rather than just being observers of the psalm? And so as we move through the beginning of the psalm, we are being oriented to a way of righteousness, a way of identifying ourselves alongside God so that we may be viewed as the righteous. So let's reread verses 3 through 5 one more time and see if we can fully grasp what's going on there and what's being asked of us in the psalm. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. So we're being called to trust, to delight, to commit to the Lord. And when we take on those qualities, we are being counted as righteous. We are being brought into the story as it was. We are taking part in what's actually happening in this psalm. We're no longer a mere observer, but we are now a righteous person experiencing these benefits that are being explained in these various situations throughout the psalm. Do you see it? There's a lot of these different situations, so I'm just going to read a few of them here for you. Verse 9 through 11, For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Another one is 23 and 24. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Verses 30 and 31. The mouth of the righteous speaks wisdom, and his tongue talks of justice. The law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. And then just for, just for good measure, let's do one more. 34 through 36. Wait on the Lord and keep his way, and he shall exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. I have seen the wicked in great power and spreading himself like a native green tree. Yet he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Indeed, I sought him, but he could not be found. And so we see this dichotomy playing out, this good versus evil, a fight being pursued between the righteous and his enemy. And God desires to see us victorious over the enemy as we see from these various situations in these passages in the chapter. The desire as a righteous person we see throughout the psalm is being fulfilled. Evil is being defeated, and the righteous is growing steadily and surely. Now, while that helped me better understand and connect all the pieces of Psalm 37, we still haven't answered our main question, right? What do we actually do with the desires of our heart? Peace from that original part that we said. That's my favorite Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. What do we do with that? Well, I understand now that I identify myself as righteous. I am someone who will commit, trust, and delight myself in the Lord and how He is now affecting my desires. How do we answer that question? 
Well, for that, I would like to reference the Hebrew for this text, looking back at Psalm 37.4, and I think we're going to get a better idea of what's going on here within that verse. And so if we look at that verse, if we look at that section right there, that second part of it, look at that word desires, that word in the text is misalot, which is from the Hebrew word mishala, and this word is only seen one other time in Scripture, which is in Psalm 20, verse 5. And it's actually translated there as petitions. So let's read that real quick. I want to read that section just so we get an idea of that. So Psalm 20, verse 5, if you want to go there with me. <clears throat> so Psalm 20, verse 5. We will rejoice in your salvation, and in the name of our God we will set up our banners. May the Lord fulfill all your petitions. Petitions, does that verse right there and the way that he's talking about it within the context of that phrase, does that change anything for us? Understanding that he's using the same word from Psalm 37, 4, desire, he's translating it here as petitions. So in a way, we're making requests of God. He is granting those requests that are in our heart. We see the various situations that Psalm 37 brings out throughout the rest of the chapter. The righteous is being upheld. The evildoer is being cast down. What's my desire? What is my petition? What is my request before God? If I'm a righteous person, that I would have victory over the evil one. And that seems to line up even more with this dichotomy, even more with that idea of righteous versus wicked. If I see all of those situations and I imagine myself in this fight, I'm petitioning the Lord, I'm asking Him to come through, and then He then gives me victory or sustains me in some way, that is a fulfillment of the things that I was desiring. That was a fulfillment of the petition or the request that I was making of Him that He would come through for me. And so you see, it is both our hearts, and it is in our hearts, and it both is and isn't necessarily about our desires. We have a God who calls us righteous because He has brought us onto His side and because we choose to identify with Him. And from that point on, He longs to grant our petitions as we engage with the evils of this world. Now let's move a little bit further along and what does this actually mean for us? So I'd like to give two intended meanings that we can take away from this understanding of the Scripture and see if we can shape that in some way that how we view the world. So as we just said, we have this new meaning for desire. It takes our focus away from what we are feeling internally, and it puts it back onto the way that we identify ourselves. Through our identification with the Lord, through the various actions that He is asking of us, we begin to experience the benefits of that new identity. We experience victory over evils. We experience a way out from the sin that we've been struggling with. We experience help, especially in the fight against our enemy, the devil. Because of who we now are as righteous people in this identity that we've been taking on, that we are the Lord's, we gain a new advantage in our everyday fight against those situations that we experience. And so second, moving further along in this idea, this moves the fight, away that we, the fight that we are involved in away from each other and focuses it on the enemy. He's the truest expression of wickedness. He's the truest expression of an evildoer, of somebody that is doing 
harm to us, that is somebody that is an actually force of evil in the world. If you notice that we are called righteous and that it's not meant to be exclusive, this isn't a singular form of righteous, each one of us can see ourselves in this story, it's meant to be inclusive, then we can inherently call a, we cannot inherently call a believer the enemy. If I do, I'm battling against someone who has identified with the Lord and who gets and who he is calling righteous. That person has the same benefits as I do. That person's on the same side that I am. That person is on my team, as it were. And so if I'm engaging in some kind of you know, banter about something, if I'm engaging in some kind of an argument, if I'm engaging in something against another believer, it's not about trying to win out in anything. It's not about a good versus evil battle at that point. We're both righteous. We both are on the same standing. For, for, an, for just an illustration, uh, my wife and I, we were talking on Friday about what we're going to do for the holidays. And she wants to go visit her family. I want to go visit my family. You know, it's a classic struggle, right? So how do we, how do we come to some kind of agreement about that? Her intentions aren't bad. She wants to visit people that she loves. My intentions aren't bad. I want to visit people that I love and the people I haven't seen in a while. You know, to give you guys some context, we live about 10, 14 hours away from family if we were driving, and so it's a little bit difficult to go visit people usually. And so how do we, how do we, how do we resolve that disagreement? Are we, are we really even supposed to be fighting about this? You know, am I, am I waging war against my wife at this point? And inherently, this isn't a good versus evil battle. Rather than trying to make it a good versus evil battle and trying to be the one who's right or trying to be the one who is correct or trying to be the one who has the most evidence or something like that, I inherently am trying to work together with her. That's what I should take on. I shouldn't try to be winning out. I shouldn't be trying to try to figure out how I can outsmart her or how I'm more righteous than her in some way, so I should have that situation. I, I should just take the idea that we are both wise people. We are both called righteous by God. We are both in the same playing field. And so, God, you've given me the wisdom. How do I work this out with my wife? How can I do this the best that I possibly can to where we both come out, hopefully, as winners? And getting back to the main point of that, how do I turn it back on its head and understand that the fight isn't, a, isn't against my wife? It's about the fact that we're being divided. And who wants to divide us? The enemy. The enemy wants to divide us. And so how do I bring it back that I'm not trying to battle, my, battle any specific believer? I'm not trying to battle any specific person. We're all called righteous if we believe in Jesus Christ. How do I, how do I get back to the original fight? against the enemy and try to win out in that? How do we get, turn this from being about each other and turn it towards being about the enemy who's the one who's trying to divide us in the first place? <clears throat> and like I said, we no longer have the view that fellow believers are the enemy. If they disagree with us, you know what? We're on the same side. We're all righteous. <clears throat> Finally, let me close by bringing you back to this journey that I've been on personally with Psalm 37.4. 
Previously, I had long used the passage to gauge how I was doing in my Christian life. I would say, okay, I'm going to continue on, and I'm going to believe that the desires of the Lord is giving me, that those are going to be a barometer for how I'm doing with the Lord. That that's going to be the way that I understand, okay, am I going the right way with God? Am I going this way? You know, am I, am I close with the Lord? Is my relationship good? Is my relationship bad with Him? And I would consistently second-guess my walk with the Lord because I'd be considering, okay, He didn't quite fulfill this, so maybe I'm not close enough. I need to start praying more. Oh, He, he, he shut a door here that I really thought was going to work out. What do I do? I go back to the Scriptures and I try to like get, hard, get further in my relationship with Him. And I realize that's such a tiring place to be. I'm chasing a red light, green light kind of an answer from a God who is promising us green pastures and still waters. And so I ask these last few questions. Are, are there any answers that you've been looking for that haven't come yet? Are there any desires in your heart that you feel haven't been fulfilled just yet? Are you still fighting a battle against the wrong enemy, perhaps? And so I'm going to answer alongside the psalmist and reread Psalm 37, 3 through 6. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your justice as the noonday. If you have not had an opportunity to commit yourself, to delight yourself, to trust in the Lord, I would love to talk with you about that after this. Uh, but right now we're going to go ahead and end, close with one more song, and then I'll give you guys a benediction, and we'll be through for this evening.